0: This is our Celebration Sunday as we celebrate Christmas. I know we have our kids' ministry kids in here. Where are you guys at? All the kids, men, kids, raise your hands. Yeah, we have a bunch of you guys there. I see some of the adult hands going up too. We are glad you guys are here today. I I know that it's like, wow, this is a big church, but we are glad you're here today because you're part of the church family. And on on events like this, on family celebration events like this, this is a great chance to remind ourselves of that. But kids, do you know another reason why I'm glad you're in here? Because you guys teach us how to rejoice. You guys teach us how to just enjoy Christmas, how to rejoice in the Savior. Last night, as, as kids were coming back from the nativity and the living nativity, they were just running back, Jesus is born, Jesus is born, everyone seeing, and, and And it wasn't just acting anymore. It was, it was that pure excitement, that pure joy that we want to catch. Kids, let me ask you a question as we start. What are you excited about about Christmas? Presence, yeah. Oh, no, no presents this year. No, just kidding. Okay, presents. What else? Yeah, up here. Jesus, that's right. Yeah. Celebrating Jesus' birthday. Celebrating Jesus's birthday. Amen. Santa, okay. Yeah, it's part of the celebration. Any other kids? Any other older kids? <laughs> What are you excited about? About Christmas? All the food. Okay, I'm there with you. All the food. That's the best part. Gracie. The what? The birth of Christ, that's right. Birthday, okay. I'm working on it. Lisha. Spending time with family. I like that one too. <laughs> Christmas has so many things that we love, right? And and these are good things to love and we, we even say what? Merry Christmas. And that word for Merry means to be glad, to be cheerful, to have good feelings about Christmas. And and we should have those things at Christmas time. There's so many things we associate with Christmas. Getting the tree, putting up the lights, putting up more lights, putting up even more lights. <laughs> Getting the computer to sync the lights. You know, all, all those things. Hot chocolate. Muppet Christmas Carol, Prep and Landing, Star Wars. That is part of Christmas. Okay, it's not part of the Christmas story, but it's the season and we have these, these wonderful things, family and food that we remember and those make us glad. But this morning we want to talk about moving beyond Mary, going beyond Mary, still having those things that make us glad but rejoicing in the Savior. See, rejoicing is more than just being merry. It's more than just being glad. It is bursting out with expressions of joy. It is bursting out with praise for our Savior, something that we can't hold back, we can't hold in anymore. And we want to look through the Christmas story today, this morning, and just talk through it and look at the response of some of the characters. We've been studying Luke, and so we've dug down into some of the Christmas stories pretty deep. But today, I want to look at the, the Christmas story in its entirety, the whole of it, and look for some patterns, look for some trends. It's sort of like if you're in the middle of the field, you see little passageways, but if you zoom up with a drone or something, you see different mazes or crop circles or things like that. I want to move up today and see a, a bigger picture because I want to look at and explore the theme of joy, the theme of rejoicing as we go through the different, different stories. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1 you don't have a bible with you there's a black one right underneath a seat right around you we'd love for you to open that up and turn to the gospel of luke chapter one and it, it's it's just fun to study through all of the stories as a whole and see some themes see some things that keep coming out as we do this i want to ask the question do we remember to rejoice at christmas or do we get so caught up in the merry that we forget to rejoice that we forget the joy. All those things are wonderful, and the trappings of Christmas are amazing. But today, let's look at the characters in the Christmas story and see their response. We're going to start all the way back at Luke chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. And I'm just going to get snippets of each of the stories and try to give us a, a bigger picture and walk through what we see in these pictures. But This starts with actually Elizabeth and Zechariah and John the Baptist because that's where the rescue mission really starts. It's been planned for all eternity and people have been waiting and at that moment in time, something the curtain starts to open and we see God start to act. He'd been acting all along but now in a visible way and so we start to see His plan that He's had all along coming to fruition. So in Luke chapter 1, God is, is preparing them for John the Baptist. Very simple verses. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. And this is talking about John the Baptist at this point. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink, strong, um, drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And then we get the reason for the joy. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And right from the start, as this couple that is older and can't have kids, they've been praying for kids, and we, we studied this as we've been going through Luke, they come and, and God comes to them through His angel and says, oh, it's coming. Something different is coming. In verse 14, you will have joy and gladness. It's interesting that that second word for gladness is actually usually translated joy. But they're like, okay, we don't say, and you'll have joy and joy. But this is one of the techniques they had to really expand on on the emphasis of a word. And so the, the angel is saying, you will have joy and triumphant joy. And there's actually two different words for joy, and he uses both there. One is just exceedingly great joy and rejoicing. The other one has this idea of victory. And so right from the start, God says, oh, victory's coming. Victory's coming. Because salvation is coming. And he goes, and and so right in that one, in just like seven words there, joy, victorious joy, and rejoicing. And we see the participants in the story that God shows with joy and gladness that is beyond our, our feeling good about Christmas, but celebrating what God is doing. In verse 16, what is he doing? He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will turn hearts to God. We'll see repentance. There will be salvation. Jump down to Luke 144. Like I said, we're just going to do a a skim overview of some of these stories. Luke 144, we get to um, Mary speaking. Actually, she's visiting Elizabeth, sorry. And she comes and she's pregnant. Elizabeth's pregnant. And you remember the story. She comes and John the Baptist leaps inside Elizabeth, right? But look at verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Do you ever catch joy throughout all these threads? He, le- he didn't just leap like wow. He leaped for joy, and and again, out of the two words for joy, this is the word for triumphant, victorious joy. There's victory. It would be like John the Baptist inside Elizabeth when Mary walks up with uh, with um, Jesus, saying, "Yes, we win." And he's doing that in the womb, which had to feel great. Man, we miss this. This is joyful. And, and th- this word, the victorious joy, is that he is doing something to defeat sin. He is coming on the scene to bring salvation. Look down, just two verses, Luke 1, 46 and 47. We see the Magnificat and Mary's prayer there, her song of joy. And and it starts with, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And again, two things I want you to notice. That word for rejoices is the victorious joy again. It's not just I'm really happy I'm having a baby. The, The richness is I am having a Savior. There is victory That I am having. And she goes on to say, Rejoice in God, my Savior. And she spells it out so beautifully that this isn't just about happy events of having a baby, which are incredibly happy. We celebrate, we give roses, it's wonderful, but something more is going on here. And that's why joy and rejoicing should happen. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. We move on to Luke chapter 2, verse 10, and we, we come to the angels coming to the shepherd. And these are all familiar verses, but I'm hoping you see the threads that tie them all together. And the angel said to them, and so the shepherds are out in the field, and and the angels come, and we talk about this in Living Nativity, and, and the the first angel is talking to them. He says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That's right. Good job. It's not just good news. This is good news of great joy. This is something to celebrate, something to get excited about. It'll be for all the people. For unto you, and it gives the reason for the joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a uh, Savior who is Christ the Lord. I, I have to admit, when, when I first started preparing for today and we had picked the theme, Rejoice, I thought, great, I'm going to look through the stories. I'm gonna like, five, five different reasons to rejoice. Okay, a good sermon. Three different reasons to rejoice. Have our three points. I didn't find that. I can't preach that. Because every reason given is that we have a Savior. There's one reason to rejoice. And that's in salvation that comes from our God. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Is that what we're celebrating? Amen. In Matthew chapter 2, you're not there, I'll read that for you. When the Magi are coming, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And again, the, it's almost like Matthew can't quite get the words to express how joyful they are. And so he just starts piling on things to, to express it. He's like, they rejoiced, which already means exceeding joy. They rejoiced exceedingly, so super exceedingly joy, with great joy or mega joy do, do you get the emphasis there get excited about jesus that's what they were doing and they came and they went in the house they saw the child with mary's mother and they fell down and worshiped him these strangers from the east these gentiles from the east were called and led by god to the savior And when they found him in joy, they worshiped and they gave gifts. They opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And we see these God-fearing men worship the king. All these threads that come together. They need to point us to one reason to rejoice. We rejoice in our Savior. We rejoice in our Savior. It's why at the end of the Nativity we sing joy to the world. We sing, oh, come, let us adore Him. That's the point. That's the point. And that's always an emotional spot for me. I know it is for some of you too because visually, suddenly we're really remembering this is real and we're here worshiping the King. When we rejoice in a Savior though, and this is where I just want to give a couple of ideas about this and dive into some truths of salvation when we say that we, we need a Savior or that we're rejoicing in a Savior, there are some implications in that, right? There are some things that that means and that'll help us rejoice. That'll help us understand. Because when we say that we rejoice in a Savior, we are celebrating a rescue mission. We are celebrating that God came and he plucked us from situations that we have no hope of getting out of, the bondage to sin, and he rescues us. In fact, when you think of a rescue mission, and, and we love rescue missions, right? If you think of movies you like, we like movies with a good rescue mission. Uh, it, the, some character gets in trouble. They try everything they can to get out of it. They can't. And then some hero or unexpected plot twist come, and they're rescued and saved. Think about every superhero movie. Maybe I shouldn't say every. I haven't seen everyone. A lot of superhero movies, right? Someone gets in trouble, or the world's in trouble, or the aliens are coming, or I don't know what it is. And at the last minute, the, and, and the superheroes, um, try things and it doesn't work. At the last minute, something happens and everyone's rescued, right? What do you feel at that point? Yes! This week I had an opportunity to, to see Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars has to come into this, right? And it's a full theater because you have all the nerds like me seeing Star Wars. <laughs> And I'm not going to give anything away. Don't worry. But at some point, there's a, there's, there's a rescue in every movie there is. And, and if you think about even Star Wars, the, the very first one, the real one, episode four, where you have the trench and, um, <laughs> and Death Star blows up at that moment, you're like, this was impossible. We were all about to die. And yes, that is what the word for rejoice means. And we were seeing Star Wars and with all these people that were really into it. And these events happened on the screen and the whole theater just goes,
1: Woo! And, it just, Wah!
0: and people are going nuts because we love a good rescue. Oh, that we would see our Lord that way. Oh, that we would get excited about a rescue that is better than any movie you will ever see, that is better than any book you will ever read. Because the same things that that make a rescue so powerful are true of us. We are lost and in bondage to sin. We have no hope. And if we see the depth of our sin, then we start to realize the greatness of the miracle of rescue. We've tried everything we can to save ourselves, but nothing we do can save ourselves. I don't care how good you are, how many times you come to church, how many times you go through living nativity, nothing we do is good enough to save ourselves. And so the only hope, the only chance is a savior. And so God intervened in his love and grace and sent his son. That is why we rejoice. And I I hope I'm taking a a familiar concept that can be so familiar that we lose heart in it, that we lose the impact of it. And I hope this morning we renew the impact because that is what gives us the motivation to worship, to respond. Just four quick things as we wrap up this first part of, of just the theology of salvation that will help us see it. The first one there in your notes, we rejoice at Christmas because we know how badly we need a Savior. This is the first part of a rescue mission. We're lost. We're doomed. And this answers the question, what are we saved from? Because if we need rescue, that Im- or if we say we're rejoicing in a Savior, that implies we need a Savior, that we need rescue. One author wrote, to truly rejoice, we have to see how bad things actually were before Christ. Good news is only ever good news to those who know they need good news you need me to repeat that? Good news is only good news to those who know they need good news. Let me give you an example. You find $10 on the ground, okay? Some of the kids are like, yes, that's good news! (laughs) Why is that good news for them? They don't have any money. You take someone that has no money that hasn't eaten in three days. Do you think that $10 is good news? Yeah. But then you have someone that has, you know, a couple hundreds in their wallet, maybe a couple twenties, dropped a couple ones on the way over. They may not even stoop down to pick up the $10. It's not good news because there's no need there. They don't see the need. And so when we say the theology here of salvation is that we badly need a savior, that need helps us understand and appreciate the salvation. We have all sinned. We have all earned death. All of our efforts to rescue ourselves are dirty rags. We are broken. And you might be thinking, oh great, this was rejoice. And you're telling us how bad we are? We have no hope on our own. And then we can rejoice because we aren't on our own. We aren't stuck in that sin. We aren't in that bondage. We are not left there because of the rescue mission that started that Christmas 2,000 years ago. God steps in and becomes the Savior we desperately need. Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas declares we are not abandoned to the bondage of sin. We are not people without hope. When I realize I can't save myself, when I realize the junk in my heart without Christ, and then I realize He came to save me and offers me salvation, oh man, I've got to rejoice. The Death Star just blew up. The superhero just won. Jesus is Savior. Second thing, a truth of salvation to remember. We rejoice because Christmas reminds us that grace is undeservably given to us undeservably heaped on us. We're overwhelmed with God's grace. This is the best gift ever. Because of our sin, what we talked about in point one, because of our sin, because we've been corrupted by sin, He had every right to come and judge and condemn us. He had every right to come to earth and say, I'm done with you guys. I'm done. You're sinners. You're lost. And instead, He came with grace and love. And salvation. Oh, celebrate that amazing grace! Understand that it is undeserved. There is nothing we have done that forced God to sh- to save us. Uh, kids, think about the gifts. This is going to come as a shock to you. You don't deserve Christmas gifts. You you, you don't earn them. I think I just lost all the kids. <laughs> What do you mean I don't deserve gifts? I'm a kid. We don't deserve any of that. That's because your parents love you. And, and, and after some of the weeks, showing grace to you. It's a silly example. But the fact that every, Christmas, every person as part of the Christmas story rejoiced in a Savior reminds us not only how badly we need a Savior, but that undeserved grace. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. He came in grace and love as a baby in a filthy stable, in a feeding trough that who knows what dribbles out of animals' mouth as they eat there. To live a perfect life, do no wrong, and still be harassed, and still be beaten, and still be cursed, and to die on the cross for our sins. That's a gift worth rejoicing. That's grace. Third thing there is we rejoice because Christmas reaffirms that God is completely in control. Christmas reaffirms that God is completely in control. And this comes back to God our Savior. He did not wake up at this point in history and say, oh, I've got to come up with a plan. I've got to save these people. Let's send John the Baptist first. Why not? Let's try that, see how people respond. Then let's send Jesus. No, this is the plan from eternity, from all time. And God sovereignly has been bringing events into play that at the perfect time, at the perfect place, with the perfect participants, His Son came into this world. He's sovereignly working His rescue plan to crush sin convincingly and finally and save us into His family. This is the rescue plan. And it's been the plan all along. And so part of when we rejoice in the Savior, we need to remember that He has planned to save us. He's working His plan and He has control over that plan. For me at Christmas time, one of the things that that helps me rejoice is to know that He is sovereign over all things. I can trust Him with the circumstances I'm going through this Christmas because I know He's sovereign over all Christmases. And this is just one in His plan. And so when we say, my Spirit rejoices in God my Savior, Yes, we're talking about how badly we need a Savior and that undeserved grace, but we're also reminding ourselves that God's in control and He is executing His plan of salvation. Last thing that this, these stories remind us is, as, the, as the different characters rejoice is we rejoice because Christmas loudly proclaims that salvation is open to all. Each of them rejoices in God's salvation But think of who the participants are. You have the shepherds who are the outcasts out of town. They're dirty. They're just watching the sheep. They're sort of the low life. That's who he announces it to. And they rejoice. The magi, people that are Gentiles I mentioned. These are people that Jews would be like, what, you didn't come to us first? God is showing salvation is for all. People of every nation, people of every skin color, people of every tongue. And he showed it through the participants. He showed it through the angel's message to the shepherds when he said this is good news of great joy for all men. And so we rejoice at Christmas because it loudly proclaims that salvation is open to all, which we need to be thankful for because that includes you and I that includes every one of us. We rejoice. That's a theme that runs through all of the Christmas story. We rejoice because we need salvation because of our Savior. We can't save ourselves and so we we see our our lostness and that makes us rejoice even more. We see that grace as God rescues us. We see His power and sovereignty as He orchestrates events. We see His love and care for all the world rejoice because we have a savior my spirit rejoices in god my savior so we explored the christmas story hopefully the impression that you came away with is we need to rejoice we need to rejoice in our savior but how do we do that how do we put that into practice in everyday life how do we get through a life that has so many things trying to steal that joy to to mask that joy to get in the way of that joy so we just want to spend a couple minutes before we continue in worship thinking about that. Thinking about how we move beyond Mary and all the good feelings about Christmas and actually practice rejoicing. One of the, probably one of the easier ways to think of, okay, how do we put it into practice is how don't we put it into practice? What's the opposite of rejoicing? Complaining. I heard complaining from several sources. Yeah, complaining is an opposite of rejoicing. Despair. Yeah. Hatred. Apathy. Grumpiness. Absolutely. (laughs) So we know the opposite of rejoice, which tells me that we know what it means to rejoice. And we, we need to be working on putting that into practice. I put a definition in your notes of, of rejoicing. It's long, it's fun. I, I like long definitions because there's all kinds of different parts to it. To rejoice in God our Savior is to, jubilantly be, is to be jubilantly overflowing with joy, unashamedly, I can't even say it, unashamedly proclaiming and exulting in Christ and His work. We're going to break that, that out a little bit, but let me read it one more time. To rejoice in God our Savior is to be jubilantly overflowing with joy, unashamedly proclaiming and exulting in Christ and His work. And, and the first part of there, jubilantly overflowing with joy, that comes from definitions like to be overjoyed, to leap for joy, to be exceedingly joyful. And and when we, when we catch that, when we catch that idea, it just spills over on everyone around us. Rejoicing is a lot like taking a, a, a bottle of soda, shaking it up as much as you can, and opening the lid. Okay? And, and I, I think the kids will understand that that's what rejoicing should be, where there's so much joy inside of us, and what God has done, that we have a Savior, that it just spills out and sprays out on everyone around us. I remember having some youth over at our house one time, and a couple, we were playing hide and go seek, silly, and one of them's in a, a cupboard, and they, um, They hid in the cupboard where our two-liter bottles were. And I'm not sure what happened, but we had soda on the roof. Or ceiling, ceiling rather. The walls, it just went all over the room. That we had to clean up. But if joy was like that, oh, what a joyful thing. To be exceedingly joyful. Remember the shepherds? The shepherds, when the angels came to them and they went and saw the Savior, you couldn't shut them up after that. They go through town. They're telling everyone. In Luke 2 it says, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them because they just kept telling everyone. In verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You know, That first part, jubilantly overflowing, we need to get excited about Christmas and show it. Don't let things get in the way of getting excited about Christmas. So many things could. So many things will. Events and circumstances. But... We need to rediscover the reason for Christmas and talk about it and get excited. Talk about it at work. Talk about it with your neighbors. Like I mentioned, the kids last night coming back from the nativity, Jesus is born. You've got to see Jesus is born. That's how we do it. Here's a a simple way to do it, that we can all do it. Repeat after me for a minute. I love Christmas because... Okay, here's your keywords that you can use at your workplace with your neighbors. You can start any conversation with that. People love to know why you love Christmas. And so let's tell them why we love Christmas. And let's get, get away from being ashamed of it and get away from all the externals and realize the most important things, the most important thing is that we have a Savior. I love Christmas because it reminds me God saved me see where the conversation goes from there you never know maybe that's when the holy spirit wants to draw that person to himself and yes we talk about merry christmas and that that cheer and that has to be part of it we should have a merry attitude rejoicing takes that and goes further but it includes merry and so we can't be grumpy we can't act like we've lost our joy at christmas i know that schedules are atrocious that you may have 20 things planned between now and Wednesday. Don't let that stop you from rejoicing in God our Savior. Think about the, the participants in the story. Mary had every reason not to rejoice. She is an unwed, pregnant young girl. Shame would have followed her. Ridicule would have followed her. She had every reason not to rejoice, circumstances, but yet she's the one that wrote, my, my my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit within me rejoices in God my Savior. If you think through all the others, the, the shepherds were inconvenienced to even have to come in the middle of the night to the stable and leave their sheep and who knows whatever. The wise men were asked to travel probably over a year on a camel or walking and these people were inconvenienced but it didn't matter because the joy of a savior of the rescue mission the aha moment when god finally reveals himself is greater than all of those and we need to remember that with circumstances that are getting us in trouble at christmas that are are clouding our vision none of that compares to the aha moment of the savior Samuel Rutherford said this, no created powers in hell or out of hell can mar the music of our Lord Jesus, nor spoil our song of joy. Let us then be glad and rejoice in the salvation of our Lord, for faith has never yet caused to have wet cheeks and hanging down brows or to droop or die. He's an older writer, as you can see by some of the the language. But oh, what a good reminder. Are there any circumstances you're going through that can negate the power of the Savior? Anything you're going through that can stop Jesus from saving you? So there's nothing you're going through that can stop your joy, that can stop rejoicing, because this trumps it. This is greater. one of the other aspects of the definition for joy that that I was was unexpected to find is it's often used in terms with exalt and exalt, two different words um but exalt means to revel in something to to be vic- to revel in the victory of something to lift them up which is where exalt comes in a little bit but to it's it's often paired with uh, having joy in something and that word for joy includes this aspect of elevating god and i'm like that's not joy but the more i thought about it i'm like actually that is joy that is part of rejoicing is saying, God is victorious, I need Him, and praise Him. And so one of the ways that we rejoice at Christmas is to worship our Savior. We see that throughout the Christmas tour. We exult in the work of Christ. We celebrate it. It's victory, it's triumph. And so we want to spend some more time exulting in our Savior rejoicing in him you know you may look at life and think i'm not all the way there yet great neither am i neither is anyone here if you're here visiting none of us are perfect we're in process because that savior that we exult in is working in our lives slowly but slowly and so every milestone we see in our own life is a a milestone that reminds us that god is at work not that God's finished with us this side of glory, but He's at work. And so rejoicing in the Savior means celebrating those milestones, celebrating those little parts that God is doing. As we wrap up today, there's one other part of rejoicing that, that we want to put into practice. And if some ushers, if we can have some of our ushers at the back ready with some of the candles there. We're going to do a candle lighting. I know it's not in the evening, but when I think of rejoicing, I think of lights. And so we have all kinds of, of pinpoints of lights all over. But one of the things about when we are a people that rejoices in the Savior, it's contagious. Just like if we're not rejoicing, that's contagious in a different way. But when we rejoice in the Savior, it's contagious all around us. And I mentioned seeing a movie with, with some people here and the person next to me, whoever that was, every time a little snippet of, of a plan would come, they're like, oh, oh, oh. And and what that did for me is it got me into it. It got me into seeing what was happening, right? The same is true spiritually. If, if we see God work in our life and we're like, oh, what's God doing? Or look at what God did here. This is part of His plan, not just with Christmas, but as He works in our life, that is contagious to those around us. And it spreads. This morning as we, we light the candles we're remembering two things. We're remembering that salvation comes from our Savior. And then that spreads throughout the whole earth and our responsibility is to help that spread. But the second thing to remember this morning is we do that by rejoicing in the Savior. And that rejoicing is contagious. And so in a moment, we'll turn out the lights and worship team will sing. But we'd like then to to pass that flame from person to person. And let it remind us today that our rejoicing should touch everyone around us and be contagious to everyone around us. Just take a look around at the candles. We represent 200 people today. 200 people that have been saved by God's grace. 200 people that can rejoice in a Savior. 200 people that cannot save ourselves because of our sin and can try everything we want, but that God showed His grace and rescued us. That's 200 people that are going to go out those doors today and make a difference for the Savior this week. They're going to tell people what Christmas is about. And we're going to show people what Christmas is about because we are spilling over with a joy that no one's going to understand. That's what these candles represent. Our Lord God, thank You for coming. Thank You for saving us when we had no hope. But You gave us hope because of Your grace, because of Your love. And You rescued us. And Lord, we celebrate Your plan. We celebrate Your work. We celebrate salvation. Lord, help that to spill over onto everyone we talked to this week. Lord, thank you for the gift of your Son and the gift of salvation. My spirit rejoices in the God who saves. In Jesus' name, amen.